We're really thankful that you are with us. This is the Kyoki Baptist online service, uh, and, and it's a special one because this is the first Sunday of the new year, 2024, and uh, how great it is that we could be together through this means, and uh, we are looking forward to all that the Lord has in, uh, in the coming 12 months. So we are going to um, spend some time, especially in these first five weeks, looking at how we can start um, afresh. Uh, a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. Maybe you've already made some. Uh, maybe you're thinking through what you can do different. Uh, I, I, I've, I kind of, I maybe just as I've gotten older, push away from making New Year's resolutions. But I do think through, what can I do different? Uh, it's, you know, the, a new year is just a good marker uh, for me. And, and it might be for you. And so I think a significant action that we, we could take is to look at what matters, be reminded of what matters, have a point of reference about, okay, this is, this is who we are and what we say we want to do and be about, and maybe look at, with, with fresh eyes at, at how that is employed, at how that's done. And um, so that's going to be the focus of the Kaioki family. And if you're a part of the Kaioki family, I hope that you'll join in and, and we, we will do this together. If you're not a part of the Kaioki family, maybe you live a distance away, you're a part of another church uh, body, or maybe you're unable to, to, to get to a, a, a church. And so this is, this is part of, of how the Lord feeds you and builds you, and we're really grateful that, that you're with us. What we're going to be looking at this month is, uh, is, not, is not for Kaoki only. It's for a, any follower of Christ and therefore any body of Christ. And if you are a part of an evangel, evangelical church, committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to his word and the teaching of his word, then probably this will make sense to you. And so uh, the, the, the looking back and kind of just being reminded of who we are and where we're at and what we want to be about um, is found for Kaioki in our in our vision statement uh, that we we have said okay what do, what do we want to be known for what what do we want to spend our time doing what's the filter in which we're going to make decisions and for us here it is we want to be about declaring the greatness of God as he transforms lives by loving and reaching people and making disciples of Jesus. Say that again. We want to be about declaring the greatness of God. Got it? Starts with him. As he transforms lives, transforms the lives of his people, 
And the way we do that, the way we see biblically to do that, is by loving and reaching people and making disciples of the Lord Jesus, right? So at Kaioki, we kind of, we whittle that down to three words, three significant words in that statement. Declaring, demonstrating, and making disciples. Disciples, discipling, okay? And so that's the foundation of, of, of where we're going to be over, these, over this next month plus, okay? But in what way can we um, connect the dots of declaring God's greatness and demonstrating his love and making disciples? What is a constant in that statement that can propel us to action? Because a statement is a statement is a statement, right? And it can be biblical, it can be unbiblical. But if there's, if, if there's no putting feet to the fire, if there's no doing that, then all we've got is a bunch of words. And so we're going we're gonna to formulate, we're going we're gonna to build the, the putting action to our statement around one word that I really believe I'm excited about. I think it really, it helps me, and I think it will help you connect the dots uh, in, what, in, in, in what and how we declare God, we demonstrate who He is, right? And we make, we do that by building, making disciples of His, so here's the word. Here it is. Engage. Engage. So we're going to be looking this, the, over these next few weeks at what it means to engage. What it means to vertically engage God, right? Uh, God is not just an entity out there that we never acknowledge and we, has no impact or effect on us. He is great. And so we declare him as great. He is holy, and so we declare him as holy. He is good and merciful and gracious. He is a rock. He is our creator. He is our savior. And we declare him as such. There's this vertical component that if we don't get this right, nothing else matters. So the vertical component here is we declare the one that we serve, the one that has loved us with an everlasting love, found most significantly through and in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the incarnation of the living God, right? But then there's this horizontal component. What does this mean to others that God places in our lives, right? Uh, how do we take this and communicate it and live it and flesh it out, right? That, that, that idea of incarnation. How can, we, how can we flesh, in flesh, this to others when we demonstrate, right? But just as this vertical component, we engage him, we have to engage people, Right? And that, this is where it gets a little bit testy for some of us, especially if you tend to be a little more introverted 
or uh, quiet in demeanor when you're, you know, you'd be satisfied. Just give me a book, a cup of coffee and a corner of a room. And it doesn't matter how many people are in the room. I'll just kind of uh, build a, a, an invisible wall around myself and, uh, and I can live. And a lot of people live life that way. That's not how God, that's not how God created us to live, right? I mean, uh, unfortunately, people understand and view their 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 relationship to the church. They're Christ followers, but they're not Christ followers in every way. They come and they sit in a pew. Uh, if you if your church has pews, and uh, they do their thing, they stay anonymous. And then they're out the door, right? Sometimes before the last amen, they're out the door walking to the car. Some people, some people live their married life that way, right? They've learned that to survive, they just kind of, they kind of pull and they separate from their spouse and they just, they just live. They do their thing without any engagement to this one that they have purportedly committed before the Lord and to that individual, this uh, one individual to love and to live with and to share. No engagement, right? Maybe you treat your job that way and on and on it goes. You can see the significance of this word engage in pretty much every aspect of life. So we want to, we want to do this. We want to engage the Lord uh, for, for and, and, and let's be honest, Biblically, the reason we can do this is because he has done this, right? He has engaged us, and we recognize that. The Apostle John said, uh, you know, we love him because he has first loved us. Uh, and that's a pretty significant truth. It's a comforting truth that this is not depending on my initiative. He's already taken the initiative. But there's this, and then there's this. I got I to move out. And in doing this, it means not only will I encounter people that God has already placed in my life, but, but the more I trust him and the more I walk in faith, I'm going to encounter new people that, that need to hear and that need to, to uh, spend time with me and to, and to be encouraged by me and likewise that I can be encouraged by. So there's this, there's this, and then the way that is done um, from the groundswell of my soul is what we call discipleship, all right? Uh, we make disciples. We are about making disciples. And, you know, we've, th there's, I, I often tell our church family, there is nothing uh, inherently genius that, that God gave to us that we are unique in our vision statement, right? It runs throughout his word. Uh, now, it, we, we spend a lot of time in prayer and in discussion and wanting to, 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 to capture and get w what he would have us as a church body do. But, but, but the idea of declaring the greatness of God and demonstrating his love and making disciples is, 
is 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 thick. The Bible is thick with with those truths and those ideas. So um, I could go on. I could go on. I'm not going to go on about this. Uh, I, I said earlier, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. And, and the way I wanted us to start in the time we have left is to pull a, a historical passage out of the book of Acts and see how it's done, how this is done and how it can go off the rails. See how this is done and the impact that it can make on lives and the way it's done making disciples, okay? So the narrative is found in the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts, along with the four Gospels, um, and, and I, I suppose you could say at least part of, of the book of Revelation is, um, is what's called descriptive as opposed to the letters and the epistles of Paul and Peter and John, uh, book of Hebrews, which would be called prescriptive. In other words, in the epistles, in the letters, these great men, these apostles are writing, this is what you need to do. This is, if this happens, you do this, right? Uh, but, in the, the, but in the Gospels and Acts, they are giving us, this is what happened, right? This is, this is a, a historical look at what happened. And so in Acts, um, which is known uh, in some, some translations, it's known as the Acts of the Apostles. Others call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, but in Acts chapter 14, we have the Apostle Paul, and his cohort, Barnabas. Now, at this point in time, um, Paul is relatively new on the scene. Uh, scholars think that what we're going to be looking at today probably happens about 13 or 14 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so Paul, who was an opponent of the church and a, an opponent of Christ, is now and uh, an ardent Christ follower. And he's been taken under the wing by a godly man named Barnabas. And when you come to chapter 14, we find them in, if you attended Sunday, have ever attended Sunday school, you're going to probably know that this is the first missionary journey of Paul. And so they're going through uh, parts of Asia, and when we start in chapter 14, they're in a city called Iconium. And um, they have some success, but then they run into opposition. And so word gets out that uh, Paul is under the threat of death. The, the, the Jewish um, leaders in Iconium want to stone him. And so he leaves Iconium. He and Barnabas leave. And um, they go to the towns of Lystra and Derbe. And in verse 8 is where we'll pick up and, uh, uh, and see what great things God has um, in, in Lystra. Uh, 
So here's what I want us to look at. Five significant events of engagement that are found in this uh, really incredible episode in, the, in this town of, of Lystra. And the first, the first significant event of engagement is found in verse, starting in verse 8. And so just look down with me. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. So the first significant event of engagement, this is, this is Paul and Barnabas, but most notably here, Paul, um, engages this man that as he's preaching, he sees this man. It's the healing of a lame man. First significant event. All right? The reason it's, it's, it's significant, now, you know, obviously it's significant that this guy who's never walked a day in his life, he's born crippled, now is walking. He's springing up and he's walking. But I would suggest to you that the, that the engagement factor that we can learn from is not that we have to go around healing crippled men from birth, but notice what Paul does here. Um, he, Paul preaching Jesus, this man is listening. He's listening. Now, that, that's not all that complicated. What's he listening to? The gospel. Paul is there and, uh, and speaking. And what does Paul speak on? He speaks the gospel. In Romans, we studied last year that... Uh, Paul begins the letter by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. <coughs> so Paul is engaging these people, but most noticeably, he's engaging this man. Because he lays eye, he sees this man, and he sees that this man somehow, some way, is grasping on to what it is that he is saying. And what Paul says is that we are sinners, but God has sent his son as the Savior. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't lay that out, but we know from other places where it's recorded what Paul is preaching and teaching and what Paul says in his letters, that he preaches Christ. He preaches Christ. And so uh, that's an engagement. You know, if I'm going to be engaging people for the Lord, then I have to speak to people about the Lord. And then this man engages because he has faith, right? Not just in Paul, but his faith is in the Savior that Paul is preaching about. His faith is in Christ. Our, our, our engagement mandate is not one of getting people to, uh, to exalt us, right? Uh, if you've ever seen, been in a, a service uh, where a supposed 
faith healer is at work or uh, seen it on TV, one of, the, one of the early giveaways is everything is about the speaker, right? Everything's about the speaker. And uh, Paul is all about the Lord Jesus. This man sees that and he places his faith in Jesus and, and he's healed. All right, so that's the, that's the first significant event of engagement. It's a two-way street. And I think somewhere in there is for us to realize that long before we open our mouth to someone to, maybe it's just to build, initiate a relationship, to begin a conversation that maybe may not start out Hey, do you know Jesus Christ? If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to hell, brother. Or I guess they wouldn't be your brother. It's not that. It's, how, can I, how can I begin? Uh, don't think for a second that God has not been dealing with this person six months, a year, ten years prior. Right? One of the things that most commentators are confident of is that Paul and Barnabas would not be the first men to come through this area preaching Christ. That other apostles would have come, would have earlier come through. And, um, and so that they would have heard and perhaps, you know, we don't know, we don't know. Luke doesn't tell us that this man is, has heard of Christ before. But it's, it's quite logical and plausible that this is not the first time he's heard of, of the Lord Jesus, that he's heard the gospel. But this is the time in which his eyes are opened and there's this desire within him to to uh, leave the lordship of self and trust Christ as the Lord of himself. That, that, that I will now, I, I, I've had enough of me. I, I need something outside of me. I need the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, second significant event of engagement is the response of the crowd. Now, I put in my notes, because I think this matters, it's, it's a pagan crowd, okay? It's the response of a crowd, yes, but it's the response of the pagan crowd to what happens to this man, all right? So let's pick up in verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, not what he said, what he had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So you got the picture. Paul heals this man. The Lord heals this man through Paul. And the crowd, not hearing what Paul has said, but seeing what has happened with their eyes, they now attribute what's happened 
to Paul and Barnabas and they're calling them gods. Right? Back, if we could, to our to, 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 to uh, misguided faith healers and those who give them credence, quite often in those events, what is moving is not the preaching of Jesus, but what is moving is what's taking place, right? Uh, is the possibility of the miraculous. Listen, the mira a genuine miracle of God is a holy and tremendous thing, but a genuine miracle of God always points to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It never points to the speaker. If there is a human vessel that the Lord uses for this, he, he or she is not the point. The point is Jesus Christ. These people miss that. They think that Paul and Barnabas, they are the point. And so they attribute deity to them. They, they think... Now, um, let, me, let me move on to the third event because it's closely connected. And then, uh, and then I want to address something. The third significant event. So the first event, the healing of this lame man. Second, the response of the pagan crowd. Now, folks, this is life. This is life. And I know it's not every day that you see a lame man from birth healed. But... Uh, God is at work, and you might see someone who uh, has come into a great blessing, maybe financially, maybe there has been an illness that God has graced and, and, uh, and walked alongside them with. Maybe it's, the, take the other side of the coin, they have just lost a family member. Um, and, and, and there is a sense of God's mercy, and there is a sense of God's presence. Uh, this is life. This is life that's taking place. And just as much is this faulty response of the pagan crowd, the, the crowd that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, making false attributions, false assumptions, to what has taken place. So, healing of the lame man, response of the crowd, third significant event, the correction to the crowd. The correction to the crowd that starts in verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained 
the people from offering sacrifice to them. <clears throat> now, I want you to notice the correction that's given to the crowd. And the reason we're belaboring this just a moment is because if I'm, if you, if we are going to engage the world, the unbelieving world, there are assumptions I can assure you that they have made. There are assumptions made about God, about how God works. There are assumptions they've made about God's people. There are assumptions they've made about salvation, how to be saved, how to know that God. There are assumptions they've made about life. And more personally, there's assumptions they've made about their own lives. There are assumptions they are perhaps making about you and me. All right? And so notice that the correction here is found in three ways. One, it's theological. Real life. We're talking real life. We're not talking, uh, you know, out in never-never land. We're not talking about what happens at a seminary a thousand miles away. We're talking real life, everyday life. How can I engage people? Well, Paul and Barnabas engage them theologically. What does that mean? Biblically. I mean, th think about Paul's... Think about the response that they give to this crowd. It is basically Romans, the second part of Romans 1, all over again. It's many, many psalms that praise God for how he has provided creation and gives creation, rains. It's, it's, it's Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, how he, 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 he gives rain to the good and the evil, and he gives, he gives the sun to the good, and that God has provided for people in general. It is a biblical response. We bring you good news, not our news, we bring you the gospel. That you should turn from these vain things to a living God. In other words, you've got to make a decision. And this living God has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Genesis 1, right? So for, for those of us that would say, man, don't bother people with, with theology, with doctrine. Don't bother them with the Bible. Just tell them about Jesus. Well, you don't have any, you can't have any understanding, appreciation, or... Uh, 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 reality of who Jesus is apart from Scripture. So it's, it's theological, but it's not only theological, it's evangelical. In verse 15, he flat out says to them, you need to turn to a living God. You need to turn to a living God. After saying, I have good news for you, here's the good news, you need to turn to the living God. Right. Not one of these, not, not one of these non-existent pagan deities like Zeus or Jupiter um, or Mercury, right, or Hermes. Uh, you need to turn to the living God. Right? So it's evangelical, it's opening of the mouth. It is that's part of engagement. It's being biblical, it's being it's being sharing the good news as being evangelical. And finally, 
it is incredibly, incredibly practical. I mean, when they say to the crowd, yet this living God, verse 17, did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Everybody listening to those words can connect to that, can relate to that. That's right. That's right. Whatever God they're talking about, I've never worshipped him. I don't even know about him. But I, I have lived under the blessing of somebody. I, I, I've, I've had good seasons. I've had bad seasons. But I've had good seasons in, in, in my, with my crops. Right? It's, it's very practical. So see, these things, sometimes we sacrifice the theological, the biblical, or we sacrifice the evangelical for the practical when you can't. To engage people means connecting dots. It means I'm true to God's word, right? I'm biblical, theological. I'm sharing the good news. I'm not sharing the news about me. I'm sharing the good news about Jesus and what he can do in this individual's life. Therefore, it's very practical. He wants to live with them 24-7, 60 minutes, 60 minutes an hour, 60 seconds a minute. Okay, so the fourth significant event of engagement that we see is the unwavering commitment of the apostles, of, of Paul and Barnabas, to declare the gospel. The unwavering commitment to declare the gospel. Notice this. <clears throat> Verse 19. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds... I remember, the, the, they're the, Luke is talking about the crowds that just have been wanting to declare these two men as gods. Jews come from Antioch and Iconium and have persuaded the crowds... So they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. <laughs> right? Now, here's the unwavering commitment. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Wow. The... Um, the New Testament commentator I. Howard Marshall writes uh, in his commentary on Acts about this event that there's no mention, Luke doesn't mention that there's a miracle that takes place here. Um, but I would, I would suggest there is a powerful witness that Paul gives. He has been left for dead. Uh, later when he writes to the Corinthians, he'll talk about... we. Probably, this is one of the references when he writes about being left for dead. This is, he's left for dead. The crowds think he's gone. And, um, but he's not. And so when he, when he regains his strength, his ability to stand and to continue on with life, he doesn't, he doesn't say, man, I'm going back, I'm going back to Tarsus, forget this. 
Nobody ever told me that I was going to, I was going to, I was going to live and declare the greatness of God and demonstrate his love at the risk of my own life. Count me out. That's not Paul. It's not Paul. He continues on doing the same thing, sharing the gospel. So those are the five significant events we see. I wanted us just to kind of tread walk, get into this, see how engaging the Lord, others, and making disciples, what it looks like, what it works. Now, I think I've given you four. Let's talk about making disciples. The fifth significant event that happens is the responsibility that's invested into the local church. Look with me, if you would, at verse 22. So they go on. Actually, verse 21, when they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Lystra, the town that he was stoned in, Iconium, the town that wanted to stone him, and then to Antioch. And what they do? The strengthening the souls of the disciples. Look, look, look at me right here, right? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. One of the great things I love about Scripture, I love about the gospel, the good news, I love about Christ is it pulls, he pulls no punches, right? This Pollyannish idea of faith that everything's going to be wonderful is not biblical. You know, okay, here we are. Now, verse 23, powerful way to end this. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they have believed. So notice the, the significance of the local church. The local church is not just a humdrum group of people that want to do their own thing. They appoint leaders. The word for elders here is the Greek word presbyterios. Um, it, it, synonym is, is, uh, is, is pastor. They appoint a pastor to these local churches. And then they pray and they fast. One of the wonderful things about January at Kaioki is we move to a day of prayer and fasting. And many of our people start that fasting uh, days and even weeks ahead of time. And I, I want to encourage you to just ponder it, think it through, take it before the Lord. God, would you have me fast? Maybe of food, maybe of something else, right? Um, but there is this responsibility given to the local body to do what? To make disciples. To make disciples. All right? To engage followers of Jesus. Listen, we don't share the gospel to only to have somebody give their life like this lame man in faith to follow Jesus and then let him go. We, we make disciples of them. We show them how to live so that they can in turn engage God, engage others, and make disciples of the Lord Jesus. So as I want us to close out, but before we do, um, I want to just leave you with 
three real practical, I'm not going to elaborate on them, but I want to give you three practical applications from this passage that might help us in our, in our desire to engage God, others, making disciples. So here, here it is. First of all, first application point is walking in obedience is not a guarantee of preservation from opposition. It's not a guarantee of preservation from opposition or from trouble. My desire to declare God and to follow Jesus does not mean I'll never be impacted by people that don't like me, that don't like what I'm saying or what I'm doing or how I'm living. Second application point. Sometimes the opposition comes from those closest to you. You'll notice that both in verse 2 and in verse 19, the opposition that comes to Paul and Barnabas is not from the pagan people. It's from the Jews. They had the most in common with what Paul believed. Jesus was from the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. He's, he's their Messiah. We talked about this when we went through Romans, right? And in our lives, sometimes the people that will oppose us the most are the people that are used to us kind of sitting on the sidelines. And they've been sitting on the sidelines with us. And when they see the Lord begin to work in you and you kind of stepping out in faith, those people, in the name of Jesus, will do what they can to drag you back. They'll horse collar you to pull you back because they don't like it because you're bringing conviction into their life. All right. Final application point is this. Wisdom in temptation. Right? I mean, Paul and Barnes, there's very little temptation, I would guess. This has never happened to me. I don't ever foresee it happen to me. There's a lot of temptation in somebody coming up to you, much less a great crowd saying, you're God. And we want to sacrifice to you. Right? <laughs> but wisdom and temptation, they will have none of it. Wisdom and temptation comes from walking in the word. What is their response when these people want to crown them a God? They, they turn to Scripture. That's what you have in their response in verses 15 through 17. They're just referring to various Scriptures. Scriptural truth is where it's at. You're going to be tempted. I'm going to be tempted. We're going to be tempted. How do we, how we deal with that temptation will manifest itself in how we walk and live in the Word of God. Okay, okay, we've just, we've just begun, all right? I'm really excited about next week and, uh, and what you're going to hear. And so let me pray, and then we'll close out, all right? Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for these that are, are, are with us. I pray, God, that you would build in them this desire that as they declare your greatness, as we declare your greatness, as we demonstrate your love, as we make disciples, 
that, Lord, we will do it with a sense and a desire to engage, to engage you, to engage the world you've placed us in. And, Lord, to invest in a local body of believers, the local church, and to be discipled, to be equipped and encouraged, and in turn to make and equip and encourage. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks again for, uh, for, for being a part of what we want to be about here at Kaioki. We're going to close out uh, in the worship of the Lord musically. I hope you'll stay with us. I hope you'll open your mouth and sing in, uh, in praise of the Lord. See you next time.